Hello and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast by Jim Privet. We hope you enjoy listening to it. A reading taken from Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 23. The Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together a group, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they they returned to their country by another route. He escaped to Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled that what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The return to Nazareth. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet that he 
would be called a Nazarene. It feels like Christmas when? Thank you so much for those of you that have sent in uh, those clips to us. If you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, at the beginning of the service, just before we played a little video, I'd ask a few people from church uh, to just just to answer that question, really. It feels like Christmas when? If you hadn't get a chance to see it, uh, then please check out our YouTube account and you can watch it again on there. It's great just to see some familiar faces. And if you're new, you get to be a bit nosy and see what kind of people come to our church as well. So... Um, it feels like Christmas when? For us as a family, for me, Jim, and my wife, Abby, and my son, Obi, and my daughter, Emily, it feels like Christmas when we've watched Nativity 3 for the sixth time in two days. That's happened this week. And now Obi, my son, is buzzing because he's getting to watch that film again today at school. It's his last day before Christmas, so he's really excited about that. For me, the best ever Christmas film is Alf, Alf, you cannot uh, deny that. If you do, then you're wrong. Um, you're probably going to already say that I am wrong, but it's not. I love a Christmas movie. Absolutely love a Christmas movie. I particularly like a Christmas movie with a little bit of, um, well, a bit of villain in it, really. Um, Hans Gruber, classic Christmas film. Die Hard, absolutely love that film. Um, the Grinch, love The Grinch as well. Another villain at Christmas. Uh, and my favourite... Harry and Marv from Home Alone. They're an incredible double act and they're quite funny as well. I kind of talk about Christmas villains because I, I want to do a bit of a different, I guess, approach to the Christmas story today. Uh, Kathy did an amazing job a couple of weeks ago looking at Emmanuel God with us. Please go check that out uh, from two weeks ago, a podcast, YouTube, that kind of thing as well. And uh, last week, Claire did a great job with the nativity as well. And so again, do that. It'd be great to go check that out. But this week, I want a slightly different approach to Christmas. So often when we think about, I guess, Christmas, we look at significant characters like obviously Mary and Joseph, more importantly, Jesus. Um, and we have kind of the manger scene and stuff as well. But I want to just flip that into kind of looking at a supervillain this Christmas. You're thinking, this isn't very Christmassy, Jim. This is Jingle Bell Rock season, right? This is Santa comes down the chimney. This is Alf on a shop. This is friends, this is family. This is about Jesus, more importantly. Um, yeah, but I genuinely believe that we can get a fresh appreciation of our calling as Jesus followers by looking at some key characters in this passage. So I'd like to say this as well, that unlike any other typical Christmas movie, this story that involves Herod, he doesn't, it's not a comical one. He doesn't turn good in the end as well. You know, when you see those sort of unassuming four-year-olds with a crown shoved on their head on the side of a stage looking all awkward, Matthew didn't really have that kind of character in mind. So anyway, we'll do a bit of a profile rundown of Herod. And I've taken a lot of information from historical stuff, historical articles as well, and some commentaries um, and that kind of thing. So I've tried to piece together a, char a character of who Herod is. Um, before we start to read about him in this passage. So I do like history a little bit, but I'll try and be brief-ish about it. So Herod. Herod polarizes many scholars and historians. Some believe he was quite a successful leader. He was quite democratic and quite, um, I don't know, quite a strong political leader, actually. And he spent a lot of money building architectural things and was quite successful in that as well. Others, however, believe that he was a tyrant, he oppressed, he did anything he could uh, to basically keep himself in power. I'll let you make your mind up. So from history, uh, we can pick up the kind of the beginning understanding of Herod about 45 years before Jesus, when he's about 25 years old. And the Romans are facing an uprising in the Jewish community in Galilee, which is now northern Israel. 
Um, and so the Romans are hoping that by making Herod the governor, the, Herod, the head governor, if you like, of Galilee, he can pacify the Jews. And he does that in really a couple of main ways. Firstly, he gathers together all the the key, I guess, in his mind, protagonists, people that are creating these uprising moments, things, uh, and he has them killed, sadly. He then also marries into quite a prominent Jewish uh, family at the time, the Hasmonean family, and he marries one of their daughters who's basically seen as a princess. Um, and it's kind of by doing this um, that that he begins to get this title king of the Jews because he's able to kind of lead them, suppress them, treat them not very well. This is about 40 BC, uh, but the Jewish people kind of hated this even more because he gets given this title, if you like, uh, and it kind of just creates more issues for him because he's not Jewish by birth and he's not Jewish by religion either. And so more tension starts to, to bubble up. Herod becomes more paranoid and more fearful about his position and losing it and maybe being killed by someone and all that sort of stuff. So what he does is, he kills his brother-in-law, he kills his mother-in-law, and he ends up killing his wife that he married, Mariamne. And a lot of scholars, a lot of historians say that actually it's probably that act when he was 44 years old that started kind of tipping him over the edge a little bit. Um, now fast forward, 7 BC, so he's been um, the governor in Galilee for about 40 odd years, I'd say. And uh, what he's starting to hear is that his sons are plotting to overthrow him as well. So he does well, he does naturally. He gathers them all together and he has them executed. And Caesar Augustus is on record as saying it's safer to be Herod's sow than his son. You know, he's not really this Christmas villain that we see in nativities and school plays. A Jewish historian called Josephus says that he's barbaric. He's a, he's a malevolent maniac. He also records some of the kind of physical issues that Herod's got. He's got severe bad breath. He's got sores on his body. He has involuntary convulsions as well. You know, we're now getting to about 2 BC. He's kind of beginning to lose not only his kind of mental faculties, but also physically he's declining as well. He's feeling like he's losing control, losing power, but he's still hanging on to being this so-called king. And then we get into the passage, right? These three people turn up probably from, I don't know, southern Turkey, scholars believe, and uh, they are priests from an oriental religion. They practice astrology, but they also they would have understood other kind of faiths as well going on. And Herod doesn't really care so much about who they are. He cares more about what they have to say. So now when you read that question that these three men, these major, these wise men have for Herod in this passage, you realize how quite explosive just that question is. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. In essence, Herod, you say you're the king of the Jews, but actually we're here to, to, to come and find the one who's been born king of the Jews, the rightful heir. You know, and you just think that would have been so explosive for Herod. He's like, are you basically saying to me that there are more important people than me? I've spent my life killing, subduing, pacifying, doing all I could to remain king of the Jews. I wanted to die, you know, triumphantly and victoriously. You're now telling me that there's someone that's better than me. He wasn't a particularly religious man, but he would have known enough to, to pull in his priests and teachers the religious um, law. You see it in the passage as well. And uh, they, without hesitation, go straight to Micah 5, verses 2 to 6, which basically says that out of Bethlehem will come this ruler. And this really tips Herod over the edge and starts to fire off his suspicions and everything else as well. You know, what I find crazy is at this point, Herod starts to plot against, possibly 
probably in his mind doesn't believe in the Jewish God, but he starts to plot against a God and that God's plan, uh, which is just crazy. Anyway, so he pulls in the Magi secretly and he basically lies to them and says, well, you go find out and when come back and tell me because I want to go worship uh, this this new ruler. Um, the star reappears, the Magi go, they find Jesus, they give him his um, gifts that they've got. And then they get warned, don't they, to not go back. So they go east. And then Joseph gets warned uh, in a dream to, 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 to leave Bethlehem because something's going to happen, basically, you know. So, um, and then, uh, so they go, they go west. Did I say that right? Yeah. They go west. They go towards Egypt. Uh, and, uh, you can kind of, I guess, like this little sleepy town, Bethlehem goes back after there's all this furore, lots of people coming and visiting and stuff. It kind of goes back to the sleepy little town. Um, you can imagine Herod being back in his palace, kind of twiddling his thumbs and thinking he's got it all sorted. He's got it all planned. He's got it all under control. And then suddenly realizing that he's been double crossed. He's been tricked by these wise men. You know, you've got this old, sick, dying, paranoid, fearful, um, ruler who's losing control. And at this point, you see, not a very Christmassy thing, but you see the worst nature come out in Herod. And he, he basically has all males under the age of two, um, put to death. It's horrible, horrible. Um, Josephus writes in the history books that it's, he's buried not too far away after he dies, uh, in Bethlehem. And he also writes that he died in agony and he was insane and tormented as well. Herod probably died thinking he'd won, right? That he'd got rid of everyone that might come against him. He'd won. But not long after this, Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, they return to Nazareth and they settle there, don't they? And um, yeah, Herod, not a nice guy. He nearly stopped God's plan. He, he nearly stopped Jesus, right, from, from being Jesus. He stopped, nearly stopped Christmas. It's crazy, right? Nearly, nearly. Um, some of you are thinking, thanks, this is a really Christmassy message. Some of you are thinking, okay, how does this apply now? Um, I'm sorry it didn't include more donkeys and, and um, uh, more people giving presents and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I really feel like there are three types of people, or people groups maybe, that we can identify with or respond to as we pull uh, out of this passage. So I, I see resistant people. I see Herod. I see people that are passive, uh, the religious teachers, and I see people that are active, the Magi. And my whole challenge to you is this Christmas, which one are you? Are you resistant? Are you passive or are you active? You know, typically this time of the year, especially brings those three types of people together. I'm probably not speaking now directly to someone who is resistant. Um, if you are, you're still very welcome to carry on listening and watching. Please do. But uh, I would be surprised if I am, because most of you probably are watching this because you do follow Jesus, you do love Jesus. Um, but I still think even over 2000 years since Herod, there's still this kind of Herod-like spirit in society um, where people try and remove Christ from Christmas. They try and um, replace it with other things, you know. And actually, people are comfortable in their own little kingdoms. You know, life is good for them. And, and so when something like Jesus might come and rock the boat and change the, change the atmosphere a little bit, they, they want to deal with it in their way. They'd sooner erase spiritual, um, truth than, than embrace it. Probably not quite as bloodthirsty as, as, um, as Herod. But Christ, for many people, has been removed, either wittingly or, or not, I suppose. Because it just creates an awkwardness, um, or a commitment that people don't, wanted to commit to and so jesus is often excluded we shouldn't be surprised by that 
John 1.11 says that Jesus came to what was his own, but his own did not receive him, you know? His own did not receive him. People still do not want to receive him now, just as they didn't want to receive him back then. But we as followers of Jesus, we did receive him. And that's exciting. And it kind of leads me on to the next uh, group of people. You know, each year is a chance for us, isn't it, as, as followers of Jesus to, to not just um, be reminded of the Christmas story of Jesus, but also how does that propel us to be to be to, to, to actively act that out, if you like, in society, with our friends, with our family as well. The next group of people, the religious teachers, the priests, we read about, you know, they would have known the scripture. They would have known about the Old Testament prophecies and Hosea and Micah and, and Jeremiah and, and, and Zechariah and all the other things. Well, they would have known about the, the, um, that this saviour is going to be born, he's going to be this this hope for them, that's going to free them from tyranny and, and all this other kind of expectation. They would have known that. These religious teachers would have known that. The significance of what this baby could be, who it could be. And what do they do? What do they do about it? They just talk about it, right? That's it. They do nothing, really. They're just passive. They, they're probably only six miles away from what, for them, is their saviour, right? They're Emmanuel, God with them. It's a two-hour walk for them, roughly. Six miles away, and they're passive. They just don't do anything about it. There's no excitement. There's no kind of, I don't know, nervous anticipation, nothing. They're just passive. And I think... You know, their passiveness and, and Herod's resistance kind of both do the same thing. They both remove the significance of who Jesus is, you know. I think for some people that we may know around us, Jesus, a little bit like those religious teachers, a bit passive, you know, take it or leave it, just part of Christmas. He comes down with the direct decorations and he gets packed away and put in the box again. You know, if I think if I'm honest, sometimes as a follower of Jesus, I can be a little bit like that myself. I don't know if you find that. Maybe it's more complacency sometimes that we can lose the significance that God, you know, God, the creator of the universe, he humbled himself and came as Jesus. And only in a place that was hospitable for animals as well, grew up, died a horrible death. He's our saviour. He did that because he loves us. We can lose that. We can lose it in the lovely, don't get me wrong, the lovely traditions of nativities and carols and, and everything else. Great reminder points for us as followers of Jesus. But sometimes we can just, it just becomes something that helps us to feel Christmassy. What does it propel us to do? You know, do we still, well, perhaps even more so this year without church being as um, accessible, you know, are we more excited about the other stuff at Christmas this year and less excited about Emmanuel, God with us? That should spark the real excitement, not just in ourselves, in our spirit, but also in the opportunities around us as, as well. And like I said, especially as, you know, traditionally, I guess a lot of us, we would keep Christ central by going to a church service, by being together, reminding one another as well. So what does that look like now, now that we're not able to do that so easily? And I don't know hopefully soon but I don't know when that's going to be the case in the new year as well but at Christmas in particular where that is such a lovely opportunity of being reminded of Jesus is of keeping Christ in Christmas for us what does it look like to operate in a society that is resistant 
or passive towards Christ at Christmas. For us, we who have received Christ, this is where I'll introduce the, the Magi, the active people in the story, if you like. You know, just as the star grabbed their attention, Christmas should grab our attention. This is such an awesome opportunity for us. You know, the first thing once the star grabbed the Magi's attention that they did was they did what? That they followed, right? Practical thing for you. They followed. Some scholars think they walked between six to 800 miles. That's about, I hope this is right, the distance between Land's End and John O'Groats as well. They traveled for 60 days. That's real commitment, right? Traveling for 60 days. Um, are we that committed to Jesus over this Christmas period to, to travel with him, to journey with him every single day? You know, as they looked up and they saw the star that offered guidance and hope and a newness, we're going somewhere. Can we do that with Jesus? Do we see that in Jesus every day? I love this kind of parallel with Hebrews 12 too. Many of you know this first, that we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Are we this Christmas? And if we aren't, don't already, can we this Christmas? Can we fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter, the author, the pioneer of our faith? Can we do that? How do we do that? You know, I loved, I loved on the first lockdown, and I'm sorry if you're not on Facebook, but I'll share this with you so you have a bit of an idea. I loved what the first lockdown did was people who were on Facebook came together and over time, people started to share what they're doing to kind of keep going with Jesus, right? Because we couldn't go to church, that sort of stuff. Small groups weren't around as much then. And so what people started doing is posting almost daily devotions and sermons and thoughts and stuff like that. More recently, Olive, some of her thoughts are fantastic. Um, so people have been getting into Lectio stuff as well and reading books and sharing thoughts on books. It's been brilliant. For me personally, it's been a great um a great support and encouragement and helped me to lift my eyes every single day. For you that perhaps aren't aware of that or don't do that or don't buy into that. So I want to encourage you this Christmas to get back into the Christmas story in the Gospels, in Matthew or in Luke, in those first few chapters. You know, I love seeing on Instagram people sharing images of Advent candles that they're doing with their kids and just reminding them every day the significance, every week the significance of this waiting season as we're waiting for God to come. You know, we as a family, we've a few times we've done a few carol sessions in the evening uh, and then just sat down and tried to work out what we're actually singing because some of those words are a little bit bizarre. Uh, and that's been a great devotion time for us. And then we've been just praying off the back of that as well. Just things that daily lift our eyes to Jesus. Can you do that more purposely as you follow, as the Magi followed? Can we do that more purposely? The second thing they did is that they spoke about Jesus. The Magi, they spoke about Jesus. They went to Herod. And they spoke about Jesus, even though they didn't know it was Jesus, um, to Herod, you know. They were brave, weren't they? They were brave. You know, this Christmas is going to feel a little bit different for many of us. We're not going to be surrounded by as many people perhaps as we'd like to be. Um, family or friends or whoever it might, whoever it might be. But I'm confident that we'll still probably connect in somehow with those people via text or video call, whatever it is you're doing or you're bubbling with certain people, I don't know. Um, but our words could be the same. Or they could be different this Christmas, right? They could be braver this Christmas as we keep Christ central to us, but also in the, the environments around us as well. You know, we could talk about the, the Queen's speech with someone. We could talk about the, the dinner that we've got prepared. We could talk about the presents we get in. We've got all that sort of stuff. You know, what are you doing for this Christmas? That kind of thing. I regularly spend 
um, hours on the sidelines watching my son play football. And as I'm, as we're getting closer and closer to Christmas, it's been a great opportunity for me just to sort of talk a little bit more about simplifying Christmas, you know, especially as we have to at the moment because of COVID, just simplifying Christmas, going back to the basics of what Christmas really means. It's been really interesting to see where those conversations have gone. Can I encourage you to do the same? Be braver this Christmas, even if it's just sending a text to someone. How's your Christmas going? You know, what are you doing this year? You know, while well, we've been doing this, we've been doing that, whatever it might be. Be braver. Have Jesus on your lips as you, as you talk to people around you. Friends, family, whoever it might be. Last thing, last thing is the Magi. Ultimately, they demonstrated love to Jesus. They worshipped him by giving their gifts. Can we demonstrate love? this Christmas. Matthew 25 verse 40 says this, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. Can we reflect Christ to people around us in society, friends, family, whoever that might be, that perhaps don't have Christ central at Christmas? Can we reflect Christ to them in the way that we love them this Christmas differently? actively doing something. It might even be a present that you wouldn't normally give to someone with a little note on it. I don't know. You know, something that um, we've had actually the real privilege to do this year is, is to sign up to the What I'd Like scheme, which is something where um, we, you know, our kids would choose a present for someone else. Because traditionally, Paul and Sandy, amazing couple from our church, would um, have bought our kids presents for the last forever. They're, you're great. Thank you so much. Um, but this year they gave us a chance to sign up to this What I'd Like scheme and Emily and Obi got a chance to choose a present for other families in the area that might need something. And so they had a great opportunity to do that. We had a little chat around that as well. You know, do something different this Christmas that will display Christ and help other people to see the Christ in Christmas. You know, um, someone donated a Christmas tree to our hub, which is our community work. And, um, and this Christmas tree was delivered by Claire. He's done a great job with, with the hub and the team of volunteers with her as well. Thank you so much. Um, this Christmas tree was delivered to an asylum seeker that we're, we're in relationship with as a church. And so they'd never had a Christmas tree before. And apparently the joy on that, on, on the family was, was unbelievable. That generous act of worship, of giving out of love. Uh, has, has done so much for someone else. You know, have you got a family member or a friend? Can you sign up to an organization? Is there someone within the church that you could just go the extra mile towards this year? Um, is it a neighbor? Can you do a socially distant thing? I don't know. I don't want to break any rules. Don't get me wrong. You know, but the world around us, the world around us wants to remove Christ or has done that on purpose or not on purpose. But we have an opportunity and a responsibility for us who have received Christ to keep that story going, that first Christmas going, that God's fought so hard, you know, to keep alive. Jesus came in some very crazy circumstances. And so it's our job to carry that on, that message as we, as we, I don't know, we follow Jesus personally, as we speak about Jesus publicly and as we, we demonstrate love practically this Christmas. What an opportunity it is to be way more active. You know, we might not have the church to better go to, but we, you know, we're called to go beyond those four walls and do some new things. I believe Jesus will do something new in us. I believe the Spirit will lead us to some crazy opportunities as we do that, generally. And he, and he will help us in that, so don't freak out. But be, be brave in those moments as well. I think we will develop a deeper understanding of relationship with God, but also the world at Christmas time will have a... a um, a bit of a clearer vision of who Christ is because of the way that you're speaking about him, the way that you're serving him, the way that you are following him as well. Yeah.
I'm going to pray to finish. I'm going to pray to finish. Um, I'm really aware that perhaps, particularly this year, following Jesus for some people hasn't been easy. And perhaps for some of you watching this, you actually don't follow Jesus, you know. Um, so I want to give us a chance to respond to that first. You know, Herod, Herod really was very comfortable. <laughs> he was very comfortable. He didn't want to be accountable for his actions, for the, some of the things, you know, some of the consequences really of, of the horrible life that he led. Now, I'm not saying that some of us are watching this are like that, but we all have things that perhaps we we aren't accountable for doing. We, we, have, we, we do stuff that, you know, there are consequences for. The Bible, you know, calls that sin, shame, guilt, whatever you want to label it as. And that's the stuff that prevents us from being in this incredible relationship with with our Heavenly Father, you know? He calls us to a new life, an abundant life. You know, he, he cleans us up, He turns us around, He gives us hope. When we can feel hopeless, He gives us um, His peace, His joy, His love. And um, I want you to experience that either for the first time or perhaps, you know, for the hundredth time, because this year has been difficult and you've just not been following Jesus. And so um, I want to just pray a prayer. And you can pray this prayer in your heart, um, and then I'll pray another prayer to wrap up today's talk. Um, and then, and then, and then we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, thank you that you came. You came not just as a baby in a manger, not just to fulfill some nativity scene, but actually you came as a savior. You came to restore relationship with, with God, our heavenly father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for growing up and for dying on a cross, a horrific death for forgiving us for the sins, the the shame, the guilt, the stuff that we do, the things that do have consequences, especially eternal consequences. And you turn us around and you give us new life and you fill us with your hope. Jesus, I want that hope. Fill me with that hope right now. Forgive me for the things that I've done wrong. Thank you that you've forgiven me. Fill me with your spirit so that I can walk with you in a new way, away from the things that I used to do into my new life with you. Fill me with your spirit to overflowing. Lord, fill me with your mission plan to call others to you as I walk with you, my King, my Lord. Amen. And Lord, as well, I just pray for those of us that perhaps have been thinking of those other points in this talk today, those opportunities at Christmas to, to speak more bravely, to be less passive, to be more active. Lord, I just pray for a, an outpouring of your spirit, your boldness this Christmas. Do things differently, to bring Christ into Christmas for other people as we keep Christ in Christmas for ourselves. Lord, it's a message for, for not just us, it's a message for the whole world. And we can do our bit. So, Lord, just empower us as followers of you, Jesus, at this Christmas time. In your powerful name. Amen.